You're listening to The Road to Philanthropy with Gary Cohn, a podcast series on giving and working with nonprofits. This podcast is produced by Painted Rock Advisors, a consulting hub providing services to the philanthropic and nonprofit communities. We bring together your values and wealth with opportunities to do good work and make the world a better place. What can we do to help you? Contact us at paintedrockadvisors at gmail.com. Dr. Lydia Hughes Evans is the founder and CEO of Pure Momentum Consulting, which she began in 2006. She's a trusted CEO and advisor in various subject matters for her clients, including strategic planning, mentoring, change programs. In addition, she successfully has retained to conduct comprehensive business evaluations and determine measures required to enhance employee job performance, increase organizational output, and achieve organizational goals. She's an expert in retention strategy, market analysis, process improvement, cost containment highlights, and organizational development. She is a graduate of Maryville University of St. Louis and a graduate degree from Argosy University in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hi, this is Gary Cohn, and welcome to The Road to Philanthropy, a podcast series on everything in the nonprofit, business, and philanthropic worlds. Today we have a very special guest, though I guess every month I say I have a special guest, but today in particular, Dr. Lydia Hughes-Evans. I've known Lydia for a couple of years through a social advisory impact group, which is for nonprofit consultants and executives. I thought it would be a great thing to have her on. Uh, we also just shared our first client together. Lydia specializes in organizational development, and we'll go into a lot of that as we, as we go forward. Welcome, Lydia. Gary, I'm so excited to be here with you today. Super jazzed. Well, that's, that's good. I love that. I love jazz. So that's a good thing. <laughs> um, so let's start out in the very beginning. Where do you grow up and how'd you get to California? Um, so I actually grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. So in the Midwest, uh, born and raised there. And I came to California for probably the pretty much the only reason why any girl leaves her hometown to marry a guy. Um, so <laughs> there was a guy who I was engaged to that lived here in California. So I uh, kind of uh, met um, my second year of sophomore year of college. Uh, at, in St. Louis. And so uh, I moved out here as soon as I finished classes. I want to say maybe I finished like December 11th and I had all my stuff all packed up and was moving by the 14th uh, across the country to come out to California and start life. So that's a big move. Very independent, strong woman behind you there, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, probably I was young enough to not uh, be paying much attention to the reality of stuff. So I was like, this is going to work. This is going to be great. <laughs> and why did you choose California over other parts of the country? Any particular reason? Um, that's because where he lived and his family lived. So ah, that's, yeah. That so that's sense. why I moved, uh, moved out here. Yeah. And I had came out here to visit a few times and I really, really liked it, particularly the food, because the food is like so much better than in the middle of the country. So, <laughs> And the weather is too, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just came back from my afternoon walk and it's gorgeous out right now. Well, I'm in L.A., so it's 71 degrees and sunny. Yeah. Uh, and you're in the Bay Area, so sometimes it gets a little colder up there in the winter, but it's still beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Can you share a little bit about your path from uh, college uh, up to the working world and how you ended up in your current consulting practice? 
Yeah. So um, actually, so when I graduated from college, I had just a double major in English and psychology. Um, and so it was supposed to be English and education because my my idea was to be able to go to school to become a high school English teacher. So that was my goal. So but when I got into the education program in undergrad, I was kind of young and arrogant. And I was like and I came from like inner city schools and I was like, these ideas of how they teach kids is not how it works in the real world. So I think that it's a bunch of BS. So I'm changing my major. So <laughs> that's kind of how that happened. Uh, so I, I dropped it and I got into psychology. And so I ended up graduating with a, um, a double major in English and psych. And so when I moved out here to California, there was really not anything that you could do with an English degree by itself. And for a psychology degree by itself, the only thing that you could really do was to be able to work kind of in the nonprofit space. So I, I had a lot of experience working with children and youth in St. Louis and kind of growing up ever since I've been 15 or so, I've been working with kids in some capacity. So my first job when I came out here to California was to work um, in a, 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 a group home. And at that point it was an adolescent drug treatment facility in Oakland. Um, and so I was doing the direct care services, working directly with the kids who were uh, placed there by uh, either from a foster care system or juvenile probation. And they were going through drug treatment. They lived there. Uh, and so they had a 24 hour kind of shift that was going on. And so I did that particular kind of work first. But, but I always kind of kept my, my, my feet in both sides, both on the, the, the education side and the nonprofit uh, side. So I also did some academic tutoring and, you know, things like that. But my work experience kind of just landed or stayed mostly in the nonprofit uh, direct care services space. And so um, I ended up going back to school because um, well, that's what you do when you're from the Midwest and you don't know what to do with your life. You just go back to school and accrue more student loans. So that's what that's <laughs> uh, so, so I went back to school to get a master's. And this time I was pretty sure I was going to stay in the education side of, of teaching. Um, and uh, but then I decided I didn't really I know wasn't was the best fit. Um, and so I ended up going back to school more time. And that's how I got the doctorate in organizational leadership. So uh, and really decided to use that for the nonprofit space. So it's kind of like a combination of those two basic English and psychology degrees um, kept me in both fields and both of those fields kind of end up merging together in my consulting practice and what I do. Now I understand why you write so well. You're an English major. (laughs) I I was a mathematics major. I was a business major, but I, I really, really did well in math. And I know where all the commas and the parentheses go. Right. But, not a, but not in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah, no, it's, it, you know, the, the teaching side is very strong. Like the education side is very strong. It's a, it's a big part of kind of who I am and how I how I operate. But that English degree, I made so much money off of that, like checking people's <laughs> papers and, and things like that. I've really leveraged that. It's a good degree to have. <laughs> so you named your, your consulting practice Pure Momentum. How did you come up with the name? Oh, you know, um, I just wanted to be able to be a catalyst for change inside of organizations. So that's really what I wanted to be able to have happen. So a lot of times people come to us because they're stuck in some way. Uh, they're, they're either, you know, stuck trying to solve a problem they can't fix. They're stuck, you know, not being able to increase capacity. They're stuck with employee performance, whatever the situation may be. And I want us to be a catalyst for change. So when we come in, I want you to be able to start to feel that momentum and that growth and that movement as soon as we start to work with you. So that's where that peer momentum came from. And what's the biggest challenge you face being a consultant? Or is there one specific challenge you can talk about? 
Yeah. You know, honestly, probably the biggest one is keeping a pipeline of clients. Um, you know, I've had to really learn about that. So aside from the consulting practice um, and the idea and the, the work that's required to do consulting, you know, they don't tell you when you become an entrepreneur that you have to know about and be kind of proficient in all five areas of business. Right. So there's finance, uh, sales and marketing, operations, executive leadership and HR. And so I'm like, that is, you know, not what I, what I do per se of knowing all of those things as an entrepreneur, but you have to, to be able to run your business. So I'll definitely say that the growth process for me and my learning as, as being an entrepreneur has been on the marketing and, um, you know, communications side of things. And because that's been taking a longer kind of growth process for me and development for me as a business owner, the client pipeline has always been kind of a challenge. Uh, to be able to kind of manage and to to make sure that it's consistent. Well, you know, as an executive director, which I was, as you know, for many, many years, I mm-hmm. like to describe myself, my listeners have heard this before, as a conductor of an orchestra. Right. I've got great people all around me, and my job is to get the best out of them. That's in right. all those areas you mentioned, you know, sales and marketing. But I know that that is a great challenge, uh, marketing and keeping a pipeline of prospects going. And even in the fundraising area that that I've been involved in the last 20 years or so, You've got to keep that pipeline of prospective donors in in line and keep working the list and keep moving people up and eventually closing a client, so to speak. That's right. That's right. Did you always have the goal of of being a nonprofit leader? I mean, you you were working in nonprofits, but you're a leader in the industry now. How did you, was that a goal of yours or you just kind of happened over time? (laughs) I think think it just kind of happened over time. I I never really uh, thought that, I never thought I would be where I am, actually. Um, so it's been a, a amazing and a blessing to be able to be here. I, I think it was just a, a matter of a lot of the, the networking and things that are required, right, as an entrepreneur. So I had to, you know, connect with a lot of chambers of commerce and things like that. And those relationships kind of blossomed over the years. And, uh, and then so people kind of got to know me. So it kind of just happened, I think, non-intentionally, let's just say. Um, but it's been a, a, a true joy uh, to be able to, to be in a nonprofit space. I, when I started off working in nonprofits, I never thought that, um, that I would have the opportunity to be as connected in the nonprofit like uh, industry as, as, as I've been blessed to be able to do. So it's, it's been a real joy. That's a very good, very good uh, point. Most successful people speak to me about their mentors, uh, and when they grew up and, and entered the business world or in life, who had a great impact on your life growing up and, and becoming a, uh, a leader? Um, I would definitely say my high school English teacher, high school um, social studies teacher, actually, in, in St. Louis. So her name was Miss, uh, Miss Bank Slaughter. And her and I still talk and text to this day. Um, and she was... Um, I grew up in a, a and attended an inner city school. So I grew up in like a, you know, very kind of impoverished area of St. Louis. And so um, I had her for, I was in college prep in high school. So I ended up having her for all four years for history, which was really cool. So really we were able to develop this relationship. And what I think I liked most about her uh, was that she challenged us. Uh, we had double the assignments and tests uh, that everybody else did. But then also she exposed us to so many different things. So she would like take us to a restaurant and she would pay for a a full meal and she would teach us how to use all the place settings uh, at the restaurant and things like that. Just all these levels of exposure that she gave us that we wouldn't have normally had as inner city kids, as it were. Uh, And so 
that really gave me the confidence to be able to be in different places and interact with different cultures and different levels of socioeconomic status. And so I really have to thank her and give her that, you know, those kudos for kind of building those bridges and foundations, because now I use those every day in, in, in my, my practice and in my career. And if I hadn't have had those, I'm, I'm not sure that I would be um, as effective as I'm hoping to be or have been. Well, as the saying goes, behind every great leader in the world is a teacher. Yeah. Uh, somewhere along the line that that impressed upon them and, and impacted them in some way and, and got them enthusiastic about something. So that's great. That's, that's right. Great. As an adult uh, in the business world, did you have uh, any kind of a mentor there at all? Um, I can't say that necessarily how to mentor. I've had a lot of people who have been guides, you know, and have, have really given me good information and good advice, uh, both personally and professionally. But probably the largest person who's had the biggest impact as an adult would be a supervisor of mine. So uh, one of the uh, places that I worked was a West Coast Children's Clinic. And at that time, I was working in uh, the STAT program, which is uh located where, where kids are removed uh, from their house by, for CPS for Alameda County. Uh, West Coast had that contract there at that time when I was working there. And so um, my supervisor was Dick Coleman at the time. And he's an amazing guy. And uh, I was kind of young and, and arrogant and um, thought I knew everything. And so I actually <laughs> walked away from the position uh, at one point, you know, uh, because I, he, him and I had different strengths in different areas. And so I had to learn that, um, you know, where his strengths were, instead of me thinking that I could do better, I had to learn to cover him in those areas and to, you know, balance it out. Right. But at the point, first point that we, I started working there, I was kind of young and arrogant. And I was like, I could do his, you know, his job with his, my eyes closed and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I ended up walking away and as fate would have it, I ended up having to come back right to the same position and right to the same supervisor. And he was so <laughs> gracious, uh, with how he, you know, handled me and dealt with me. And it really taught me uh, humility and also to be able to learn to leverage uh, other people's strengths uh, and to really uh, support that. So he had an, a, a huge indelible impact on my kind of career and growth development. And uh, so much so that I invited him to my, uh, my doctorate graduation when I, when I finished school, because he was, oh, he's amazing. Uh, yeah. What excites you about the consulting work you do? Oh my goodness. Um, probably the best part is helping people to solve problems. And it's, you know, because people come, you know, with their, their challenges. And sometimes when you're right in it, you can't see it. And then for me, I'm like, oh, it's just A, B, and C. We just tweak those things, put that there, move this here, bam, you're good, you know? <laughs> and, you know, for, to, to other people, it's like, wow, that's magic. And it's like, no, it's just that because I'm remo removed enough from the situation that I can see the perspective a little bit differently. Um, so, but that I think is the, the, the biggest uh, piece that excites me the most about the work. Now, you've been a leader in the nonprofit community in the Bay Area, as well as uh, you know, being involved in boards yourself and other mm -hmm. organizations. What kind of organizations speak to you the most? Obviously, you've been involved in children's organizations. Are there other organizations? Um, I think that any organization that does direct care service, those are the ones that I, that really kind of draw, you know, draw me in. Um, so definitely ones that are working with ver uh, marginalized or vulnerable populations that could be children or adults or domestic violence or any, any people that are really kind of doing the really, really hard work out there with very little resources and, uh, and, and support, really. I think that there's something up maybe maybe I root for the underdog, Gary. I don't know, but <laughs> I, well, think I, I, you know, I think 
and I'm into my 60s now, probably my 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 later 60s now. But uh, you know, I've always been on the liberal side of the world and and social services anyway, not fiscally necessarily. But and I think you know, organizations that help people, you know, you really see the impact. You know, I'm involved in a in Safe Parking LA, which you know provides parking services for the homeless. in their vehicles and to see them get a step up and be able to make a move into affordable housing and all along the way. And I was That's involved right. in the food bank world for many, many years as a board member and as a donor and as a separator of fruit on a Sunday morning, you know, and crates Right. of fruit. And you really feel you have an impact when you're when you're doing that. That's very true. As opposed to the arts organizations of the world or there's nothing wrong with being in the arts organizations, but That's right. you know, we're we're hands on in the kind of work we're doing and the kind of work you do. It's great. Um, now you you uh, I know you're an author of several books and you also do a weekly blog. Now I know you're an English major, so you probably just enjoy writing in general. But what made you decide to write a book or books? Um, so for me, it was the, the aspect of it, the, the book series is entitled uh, Organizational Poverty. And so there's two books that are part of that series. One is about valuing human capital and one is about expanding your impact. And really what drew me to write that was because I was interacting with so many nonprofits that were consistently kind of coming from a, a space of lack. There's not enough staff, there's not enough money, there's not enough this, there's not enough that. And it's like, how can we Uh, take what we do have, uh, the resources, the tangible and intangible resources that we do have and leverage that toward the state of abundance. And, and also coming from a perspective of being proactive as opposed to being reactive in our operation strategies. And so really it was that um, wanting to be able to combat that, that feeling of lack. There, a lot of organizations kind of talking about what we were saying earlier, that are working with very kind of vulnerable and marginalized populations and on very limited resources or shoestring budgets, uh, if we're not careful, we can actually internalize inside the organization that same kind of uh, scarcity mentality that's operating outside in the community that we're trying to serve. And so uh, for me, that's why writing those, those books were so important to help us to kind of make, make that shift internally so that we can uh, build our capacity as an organization. And you're you are dedicated to your weekly blog or you you know email post that you post with uh, uh, comments about different parts of the industry and, and your work. How do you get your ideas for the blogs and 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 how do you get consistently writing them? I mean they're always so thorough and 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 great to read. Oh, thank you. You are listening to the Road to Philanthropy. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Um, so I have to be able to give credit where credit's due. I, I do do some of the writing, uh, but I also have a wonderful person by the name of Monique Dumaine, uh, who actually uh, is the person who makes my words make sense. So, <laughs> so I've had trouble in, in this, right? Like I, I, I can write uh, academia writing, but I'm not necessarily the best at writing everyday kind of language. And so uh, I've gotten a lot better, I think, in that area, but she really helps me. And she's also one who sets it up uh, to be able to go out in Kartra, our, um, our email marketing platform and everything like that. So she makes it look great and, and, and sound great. Um, but a lot of that content, you know, uh, basically I probably talk about and deal with five different kind of basic bucket areas uh, in nonprofits. So that would be operations, management, change management, leadership, um, and probably the fourth one is uh, staffing or administration. So out of those five big buckets, Um, I create content trees, basically. And so I just kind of take those big buckets and, and break them down into smaller topics and subtopics. 
and then kind of round them up and then that's how they go out uh in uh, in, in the weekly content so well, it's interesting you and i just shared a client then the client will go nameless uh yes. on the podcast but and we were involved in change management we were enjoy, involved in leadership mm -hmm. <laughs> in staffing yep. in management yeah uh, almost everything in that in the five buckets and uh it was interesting challenging work because uh you were able to come in with certain tools that you utilize to help the organization evaluate itself. Tell us a little bit about your process in coming in and working with a company. What I found, one of the things that I found is that there is very little, very few ways of how to actually organize or assess uh, the health of an organization of a nonprofit specifically. And so what I actually created was a tool. And so that actually, the first book that I wrote, Organizational Poverty, Valuing Human Capital in Nonprofit Settings, that particular book was actually created as an assessment tool. And so basically there's, for me, there's four areas of an organization that we want to look at. And so the first area is adaptability, adaptable information infrastructure. So how is it structured or wired? And that includes like your org chart, your systems processes, workflows, things like that. So there's a list of questions um, in that book that later turned into a larger list of questions that address that particular area. The second area is resource management. So how are you um, stewarding your tangible and intangible resources, including knowledge management and all those areas? So there's a list of questions under that particular area. Third is staffing. So that has to do with uh, onboarding, training, uh, disciplinary procedures, evaluations, burnout, trauma, vicarious trauma, all the things that, that impact a person who comes to work for a nonprofit. And then the last bucket is sustainability. So that has to do with how is the organization poised for a continued growth and success, success and capacity building. So that's strategic planning, succession planning, all those kind of pieces fall under sustainability. So from those four domains, the adaptable infrastructure, resource management, staffing, and sustainability, those lists of questions have kind of become one of my assessment tools that I use to be able to assess the health of an organization. Um, and usually if there's a problem or a challenge, it, it shows up somewhere along one of those four uh, domains. And so that usually kind of gives us the focus of what we want to be able to work on when we go into work with someone. I was speaking to a, a friend of mine and actually a, a, a business colleague now, uh, Joel Volk, who had his own business for 30 years in the imaging area, you know, Xerox machines and those yeah. kind of office products and things and sold it off about a year ago and finished his year contract and retired. Now he's consulting. And he said the hardest thing for most business owners, and I think this is true in nonprofits also, is that they think they're doing everything well, but when someone from the outside can look in and point out the two or three things they could work on, all of a sudden they can grow and do better than they've ever done before. But it's, right. it's the acknowledgement that something needs help, right? That's right. It's almost like Alcoholics Anonymous where you, you can't help yourself till you first admit you have a problem, right? That's, that's right, that's yeah. right. And that, that's part of the, you know, I, I think we are, we're so, we're such scrappy people as nonprofit people that I think it's sometimes difficult to admit that that we're having a problem, that we're having a challenge. Um, and I think there's also kind of a, a strong sense of optimism and positivity that also kind of sometimes gets in our way of being able to acknowledge, yeah, this isn't working out so well. This isn't so great. <laughs> you know, now, so. I recently learned that you have your own podcast. Uh, oh, so Boss Ladies in Love. Uh, so boss, it's Boss Ladies in Love. That's great. Boss Ladies in Love. <laughs> and what is that podcast about? 
Well, so it's not a podcast, Gary, but it's actually a, a, a relationship coaching that I do. So it's a relationship coaching. And then it's also where I'm actually building out an online uh, course that people can kind of go through on their own. And that really came out of my own challenges with relationships. So you see, I have a hyphenated last name. Uh, that name's been changed about three times. Uh, so, <laughs> so I promise that the next time I get married, um, it won't be a huge anything. It's just going to be that person's last name. We're not doing any more hyphenated stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's been a challenge of kind of trying to navigate relationships just in general and in life, there's just so much I didn't know. And I didn't really have very many uh, male, um, older male, like father figures or things like that to tell me what to do. So I made a lot of kind of mistakes along the way. Uh, so that really came out of wanting to be able to help other people, other women, particularly who are crushing it in other areas of their life. Maybe you're like a boss in business or you're rocking other areas, but you just keep getting caught up on the relationship side uh, to be able to kind of have success in that area too. So you can have it all. Very good. In in your in your life, in your business world, what are your top priorities in the next couple of years? Do you have any goals that you haven't accomplished that you'd like, you, uh, like to uh, address? I think that I want to definitely be able to continue to work on the our marketing and communications like approach and our methodologies and our tools and stuff to continue to kind of expand our impact. I know that's one thing that the pandemic forced uh, us as a business to have to look at where we are digitally in our digital presence or lack thereof as it was uh, when it started. And so that's, we really had to step up our game on that area. And it's been really amazing to be able to do that. So I think I want to be able to continue to build that level of influence and just kind of like outside of the Bay area and into other um, areas of the country as well. Right. Uh, that, that was one of the benefits of the pandemic as I even recently bid on a project myself in, in, Penn, in, uh, in Boston on a food bank, they heard about me in food banking and they heard I was a consultant and they wanted me to look at running a campaign for them to raise money for a new building. Right. And I decided to pass on it. They needed someone local, could be more hands-on than I could be for them. But you, you never know where the referrals are coming from these days because uh, you know the exposure that we have through Facebook or through our websites are much more uh, uh, greater than we ever thought they would be. You know. That's right. That's right. It, it's been a real, a real pleasure, I think, in that way. Now, yeah. over your career, you've had many relationships with clients and professionals and board members. Tell us a story about one of your favorite experiences in your past, either client or people you've worked with. I love all of my clients, but let's see. Let's see if I have a good client story. Um, <laughs> I think one would be an organization that I worked with. I actually also served on their board, uh, but they're an international nonprofit. Uh, and so they had they do domestic services here in the U.S., mostly disaster relief. So around the country, when disasters pop up, they help support there. And internationally, they do a number of, of health and wellness um water and education initiatives in a number of different countries around the world. Uh, the, the challenge was that the CEO was a phenomenal guy and he is very much your typical CEO. He loves to go out and, and make connections and, and build business and, you know, chase opportunities and, and find opportunities for innovation. 
The challenge was he couldn't do too much of that because he actually had 15 people reporting directly to him. Oh my goodness. And <laughs> yes, it was a lot of fun. And then like some of those, uh, a large amount of those 15 people, because they're international organization, a lot of them lived in other countries, different time zones, different cultures on how we conduct business. It was a whole, like, it was a whole show. Uh, so the poor guy, you know, was kind of at the point where he was about to kind of walk away and, and was really just feeling like this obviously isn't for me because I'm not able to do what I love to be able to do. So we were able to actually go in, take a look at, uh, of course, our handy dandy org chart, right? That's how we caught the 15 direct reports um, <laughs> and a few other things and, and be able to give some opportunities as to how we could make some adjustments uh, to be able to help help the agency to, to thrive and to make it so that his position didn't become the bottleneck that it kind of was as far as decision making and everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, so we actually recommended that, uh, that we brought on a COO. Uh, 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 chief of operations to help to take some of those aspects off of his off of his plate. Also, HR manager. We were able to reorg the chart to get him down to I think six direct reports, which made things a lot more a lot better. So um, I heard from him about a year and a half later that he's still there, loves his job, and couldn't, uh, you know, some of those hires were costly hires, right? So bringing on a COO is not a right. cheap. You're not a cheap fix. Also, uh, HR director director can be a kind of expensive um, investment as well. But uh, his testimonial, I think he said that he now looking back, he couldn't have imagined not making those hires because how much has changed his life and how the organization functions. Well, that is a great story to tell. That's wonderful. That's good. What about uh, a client or a situation that didn't go so well for you? So that would probably be a board that I served on. Um, and um, one of the things I'm always harping about on the board side as a consultant is having a very concise and clear and thought out onboarding process for new board members. This board didn't have that. So when I came onto the board, uh, it also was a situation where uh, they were looking to increase the diversity on the board, which is kind of a hot topic right now. So I was, you know, that's part of the reason why I was asked to be on was to help to increase diversity. Uh, but the problem was, since there wasn't really an onboarding kind of a process, I didn't really feel connected or integrated with the with the uh, of fellow board members. Um, it kind of felt like coming into a clique that already existed. And I didn't really know how to break into that click. And so since there wasn't a systematic way to be able to do it, and because I'm an introvert, so I'm not going to be, you know, trying to flag you down to hang out with you. Um, <laughs> you know, um, it was kind of a challenge. So that was something that it was a good learning experience for me to be able to have, to be able to reiterate with other clients and how I work with other boards. Uh, but it was a challenge where I just, I just, it was just too difficult for me to try to, uh, to, to really feel connected to the group. Um, doing business was fine. Handling business was fine, but I just didn't feel connected as part of being a, a board member. So yeah, I, I did have to step away, but it was a good, uh, a great learning experience for me to be on that side of being integrated into something. So. And, and lastly, let me ask you the question when you're not working, uh, <laughs> what do you like to do? Oh, I'm boring. Free time. <laughs> oh, I'm so boring. Like I, I like reading. I love reading. I'm, I'm a self-help like guru. Like, so I'm always trying to figure, I'm always trying to, I, I guess I'm like, I'm a consultant. I get paid to help other people and I'm always trying to solve my own problems. So 
So I'm always reading about that. Oh, I love Jane Austen. So like that probably comes from that English degree, but oh my gosh, I love Jane Austen stuff. So I read a lot of that, uh, but hoping to be able to travel some more, um, especially when things start to open up. I'm excited about that. I'm very, I'm a really prissy, um, you know, clean, climate controlled. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like my, my partner, we went uh, out, we would call it glamping. It was a high-end camp situation north of oh. Santa Barbara, but we had a cabin, but we had to cook outdoors and make our own fire and things like that. Okay. And I said at the end of the weekend, I kind of said, this was kind of fun, you know, but my idea of a great time is the four seasons with room service. Right. All right. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, maybe if I, if I was addicted to something, it would probably be like doing uh, planning weddings or looking at weddings and things like that. So I spend a lot of time on Pinterest making boards and whatnot. It's yeah. And, and, you know, music uh, for ceremonies and things. Right. Uh, but, and I do love the spa though. That probably goes with my prissy. <laughs> Very good. Well, listen, thank you so much for being part of our podcast series. This was great. And I look forward to working with you in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Gary. It was okay. a pleasure. Thank you for listening. We want to stay connected with you. Be sure to stay connected with our community by giving a like to our Facebook page and following our Instagram at paintedrock underscore advisors. Our podcast is available on all of your favorite platforms. We'll see you at our next release. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.